0: and it is so good to see you this morning. Is it good to see me? You didn't say that. I was just, you know, I was just wondering, you know, like, uh, okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Sorry, I I didn't mean to call attention myself, you know, it's just that, uh, you know, when you say, how are you, you know, you reciprocate. So, yeah, very good. Thank you. I am fine, and uh, uh, for those of you, uh, many, many asking, uh, in case you didn't know, uh, uh, Don and I went on a little trip Friday night, Uh, literally, she went on a trip and tripped over some raised sidewalk, and she fell, and she broke her wrist, okay, but she's, it's a simple fracture, so we're very, very uh, thankful for that, uh, that uh, won't require surgery, so uh, again, uh, many asking about that, just wanted to give you the the official report. Uh, Trips, journeys. We, we, the past several weeks, have been talking about our all journey, that God's given us a vision, and we're on this mission. Today, two weeks before Easter, we want to talk about the trip that Jesus took. We want to talk about the journey that he was on, on the way to Jerusalem, the journey that would take him to the cross. And on... That resurrection day, bring him out. So, for this week and next, we'll be looking at some passages of Scripture which tell us about Jesus and his journey to the cross. Today, Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 32. They, Jesus and a crowd of people, they were now on the way up to Jerusalem. Now, when you read in the Bible that, that someone's going to Jerusalem, it always says they were going up. It didn't matter if they were going south or north. They were always going up, literally and figurative. They were going up literally because Jerusalem was on a high pinnacle, and so to get there, you had to go up. Uh, there's a road that, uh, that Jesus would have taken from Jericho to Jerusalem, It ascended to 2,500 feet in 17 miles. Now, that's not really, really steep if you're driving. But if you're walking, it's another story. So they were on their way up to Jerusalem. The Jews always thought about going up to Jerusalem, too, because it was the city of God. To go up to Jerusalem was to go to celebrate God's goodness and his power and his grace. So they're on the way to Jerusalem, and Jesus knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were amazed, and I just want to stop there and say that when we hear the word amazed, usually it's in a, con- a positive connotation, all right? But that's not this word, not in a good sense. His followers, especially his disciples, were bewildered. They were in disbelief. And then the next sentence tells us, and the people following, the crowds that were following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Why were the disciples bewildered? Why were the people following Jesus overwhelmed with fear on their way to Jerusalem? Well, it's very simple. The last time Jesus went to Jerusalem, the religious leaders tried to kill him. And they knew that the same thing would happen again. This was no pleasure trip. This was a mission. And they all had a sense of impending doom. So verse 32 explains further, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him in Jerusalem. Listen, he said. We're going up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to death to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But, after three days, he will rise again. Now, this was the third time that Jesus had had a very specific face-to-face conversation with his disciples, telling them he was going to die. Now, each time Jesus revealed that to him to them, he revealed more of the uh, horrible details. And this time, Jesus adds more information. He says they, the religious leaders, would hand him over to the Romans. Now, see, the disciples knew the, the, what that meant. Because, see, if the religious leaders were to execute him, which they had the power to do, but if the religious leaders, the Jews, were to execute him, they would stone him. But Jesus said, no, they're going to hand him over to the Romans. What did that mean? That meant if he was executed, it would be far worse. They would crucify him. See, crucifixion was designed by the Romans, and it was not a swift execution such as we have here in the United States where it's supposed to be humane and quick and as painless as possible. No, the Romans designed crucifixion to be long and arduous and torturous and the most painful death you could die. It would take hours. It was designed so that anybody that even thought about disobeying the authority of the Romans would see that person dying in a public place up on the mountain so everyone could see it. And then their body would be left sometimes hanging there for days on a cross. If anybody saw that, they wouldn't think about defying Rome. And so Jesus revealed the kind of death he was going to die. We're going to jump down to 46. Then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd still following him. And Jericho was a popular resort city that had been rebuilt. You know it was destroyed, of course, in the Old Testament when the uh, children of uh, Israel marched into the Promised Land and the walls fell flat and the city was destroyed. Well, Herod rebuilt it. He rebuilt the city for his winter palace. You see, it was close to the Jordan River. It was an oasis. It was a beautiful city not far from the river. And it was the route that Jesus would take to get to Jerusalem. Well, what happens on the way? A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, which literally means son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Son of David is quite an interesting name to call out. The Jews knew that the Messiah would be the Son of David, a descendant. And so he was actually expressing his belief. Yes, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Have mercy on me. And what did the crowd do? Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. (laughs) But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped. And he said, Tell him to come here. Now, Think about that. That's a little strange. Jesus, who has perfect eyesight, is telling a blind man who can't see and could stumble and easily get hurt to walk over to him. (laughs) Why would Jesus do that? Jesus wanted to see if Bartimaeus would take a step of faith. If he would take a step that he needed to take to experience a miracle, the power of God in his life. And, friend, that's what we want to talk about today. Jesus is looking for people who are willing to take a step, willing to obey. Because he calls all of us, willing to obey and take that next step of faith, like Bartimaeus. Well, the conversation continues in verse 51. Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) My rabbi, the blind man, said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go. Your faith has healed you. And instantly, that man could see. I find this so amazing. Here's Jesus. It's two weeks from his crucifixion. He knows that he's going to be crucified by the Romans. But before that, he's going to be arrested He's going to be tortured. He's going to be beaten by the Jewish leaders. And then they're going to hand him over to the Romans. And then Roman soldiers are going to torture him and mock him and spit on him and whip him and put a crown of thorns on him. And then he's going to be hanging on a cross for hours, dying in excruciating pain. And so that's only two weeks away. And he's going there deliberately and purposely to accomplish the will of God. And... What does he do along the way? Try to elicit sympathy from people? No, he's doing miracles for hurting people. Are you hurting today? Maybe you're not literally hurting, but maybe you just really need a miracle. You need a miracle for your family. You need a miracle for your finances. You need a miracle for your health, for for something. You need a miracle. We want to talk about that today. Because I think God wants to do a lot more miracles than we permit him to do. Now, it's important to know that God is not some kind of magic genie. He's not someone who's going to grant you three wishes, whatever they are. And there are many reasons for that. One of them is that so often what our wishes are, they aren't his will. We wish we'd win the lottery. We wish our team would win the championship. We wish this, we wish that. So sometimes our, our wishes are not God's will. And the second thing is, miracles, while miracles are things that only God can do, all right, we'll just define it that way. Miracles are things that only God can do. We still have a part to play in that. Need a miracle? Well, let's look at Bartimaeus. Let's see what he did. Let's see the part that God wants his people to play. Bartimae- Bartimaeus had a major problem. <laughs> he was blind, couldn't see. Of all the senses to lose, maybe that's the, the worst, <laughs> all right? But see, friend, if God could take care of Bartimaeus' problem, then he can certainly take care of yours. And the bad news is no one likes problems, but here's the good news. Your greatest problem, it's probably the door to your greatest miracle. When we have a problem we can't solve, then true faith will remind us God can And we'll seek him. The problem you can't solve is the opportunity to put your faith in the one who can. I I read about a shoe company many years ago. They sent uh, two salesmen to uh, different areas of the uh, Australian outback. You know, a primitive area, Okay. They sent these two uh, salesmen to sell shoes and a few days later they got a report from both of them and salesman number one reported, no business here, natives do not wear shoes. Salesman number two replied, great opportunity here, no one has shoes. Your impossible problem? It's your opportunity to trust the God with whom nothing is impossible. I mean, if it's possible, then it's not a miracle. If it's impossible, God can. So what moves God? He doesn't he doesn't answer all our He doesn't give us all the miracles that we want. Okay, what moves God's heart to do miracles? We're going to look at uh, Bartimaeus here, and I think we're going to see some principles, and the first one is this. Friend, go to the right person. That's important. Verse 48 tells us that Bartimaeus cried out to Jesus. Now, what did the crowd tell him? I said, Bartimaeus, be quiet. Be, be quiet, Bartimaeus. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Now, I'm going to say something profound right now. I have to announce it because people just, I rarely say anything profound, so people are, are not ready for it, okay? But this is, okay, this, this is profound, okay? When you and I have a problem, when we have problems, most people, and we go to someone else and we tell them, most people, even Christians, they will give you their advice rather than advising you to do what God says. I believe that. Based on you know, many years of ministry, trying to help people with problems. What do we do? When we have a problem, most of us, even as Christians, we, we tell someone else, what are they going to do? If they're a Christian, they're probably going to give us their advice as to what they would do rather than advising us to what God tells us to do. What if Bartimaeus had listened to the crowd who advised him to be quiet, to stop bothering Jesus? He would have been blind for the rest of his life. He would have gone to the grave, never receiving what God wanted to give him. And you see, it's human nature to tell our problems to people who care about us But they don't have the power to do a miracle it's human nature to tell our problems also to people we kind of pick and choose people who we believe will tell us what we want to hear rather than people who will tell us what god's word tells us to do need a miracle do what God's word tells you to do, not, not what people tell you to do. And see, God, God's word will often tell us to do something that we don't think will work. In fact, most of the time that's what We think that will not work. God's word often tells us to do something that's impossible. That, that's impossible. Well, wait a minute. What is a miracle? It's God doing something impossible, okay? If it's impossible, God can. So yes, God does tell us to do things that are impossible in our sight, but nothing is impossible with our God. Friend, Bartimaeus went to the right person. He didn't do what the crowd told him. He did what Jesus told him to do. What moves God's hand to do miracles? Go to the right person, the Lord. Second thing, ask for the right thing. Now, when we read this, I started at verse 32, then we jumped over verses 35 to 45. And it's a story that probably you are familiar with. James and John come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, uh, would you do us a favor? Would you in heaven let one of us sit on your right and one of us sit on your left? Verses 35 to 45 tell us that right before this blind beggar asked Jesus for the right thing, that Jesus' disciples, James and John, asked for the wrong thing. God is not going to do a miracle that will make us more self-centered, self-absorbed. Ask for the right thing. Not our ease, our glory, our comfort, God's glory, God's will, God's plan to be carried out. Ask for the right thing. That moves god's hand third thing take the next step take the next step of faith jesus told them to go tell the blind man to come so they called the blind man cheer up they said come on jesus is calling you and what did bartimaeus do say i can't get up i can't i'm blind i can't even see no is that what did he do bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. In New Testament days, people who were blind wore a garment that indicated that they were blind. People who were lepers dressed in a way so that you could tell that they were lepers, even from a distance. Well, people who were blind wore a garment that indicated they were blind. And when Bartimaeus heard Jesus calling him, what did he do? He tore that coat off. He jumped up. He ran to Jesus as fast as he could. Nothing was going to stop Bartimaeus from getting so close to Jesus that he had to experience the presence and the power of God in his life. And friend, if we would just let nothing stop us from getting as close to Jesus as possible, then he could do a lot more miracles in our life. If we're close to him, if we're with him, if we're in his presence, we're going to experience his power and his glory and all that he has for us. And Bartimaeus, he took that step of faith, and it was a step of faith. And that's one of our core values here at Alliance. We talk about a lot, next steps. Doing the next step that Jesus is asking us to do. And when we do, see, God asks us to take those steps because then we'll have his power to carry out our mission. And then we'll experience the work of God. Then we'll see more miracles in our church, in our life. Bartimaeus took that step of faith. He got as close to Jesus as he possibly could and what happened instantly. Jesus said, "He was healed. Your faith," he said to Bartimaeus, "has healed you immediately." He received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. What did Jesus, excuse me, what did Bartimaeus do with his miracle? Okay, now he can see. What did he do with his miracle? Use his newfound sight to just go have fun for himself? No, he used it to follow Jesus. Take that step of faith. Number four, what moves God's hand to do miracles? Wait. Wait for God's perfect miracle. Uh, One of the reasons that uh, we certainly don't experience more miracles is we don't like to wait. I mean, we live in a culture that tells us we don't have to wait. We live in a technological age so that we don't have to wait, right? I mean, if you don't have time to cook it, you fast food it, right? Hey, It's immediate. It's there. It's right away. If we don't have the money, we charge it. Hey, we don't have to wait. Charge it. We want immediate gratification. And we want immediate action from God, too. And when God says, wait, when we know what his word tells us to do, and, and, and we pray and ask God to do it, and after three weeks he hasn't done it, then we're ready to ditch it. Well, that doesn't work. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But God asks us to wait on him. Why? Because when we don't wait, we won't do it right. We won't do it perfectly. When we wait, God will. Friend, Bartimaeus had been blind for years. How many days do you think he prayed and asked God to give him sight? Probably every day of his life, for years, But he waited. Why did God have him wait all those years? Why does God have us wait? We don't like to wait. We want the problem solved now. Why does God have us wait? Because God wakes, works in his perfect time and in his perfect way. You see, God works in his perfect time. Uh, I used to be a assistant pastor down in the Fort Myers area. And I met a man down there who uh, was uh, his coach was John Wooden the basketball coach of UCLA who has more national championships than any coach, maybe the greatest coach of all time. And his UCLA teams were uh, amazing in many ways, and especially in their ability to do a fast break. They would get the rebound and pass it out, and they'd score in three seconds. And John Wooden, in those practices all the time, he would say this, and this is what his friend told me. He said, John Wooden would say, hurry, but don't rush. Hurry, but don't rush. And what he meant by that, do it quickly, but don't do it so quickly that you'll mess it up. And friend, we mess up so many things in our lives when we refuse to wait on God for his will. Oh, it's not working. So we take matters into our own hands. And we miss the miracle, the perfect miracle that God wants to do in our lives. This miracle of Bartimaeus healing here, it's also found in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke adds a detail in chapter 18 and verse 43 that we want to look at today. Luke says this, instantly, Bartimaeus could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God, and, here's the phrase that's not in Mark, and, all who saw it praised God also. That's important, because you know... <clears throat> what would move God's hand to do more miracles in, in our church, more miracles in in each one of our lives? It's this. Ask God for miracles for the sake of others. You see, God wants to do miracles, but so often we're just praying for a miracle for ourselves, and there's not going to be any benefit to anybody else or any glory to God. No. God wants to do miracles, but not just for you. God wants wants to do miracles for many people around you. Why didn't God heal Bartimaeus years ago? Because now this was the perfect time. This was the perfect time for Bartimaeus to be healed when there was a multitude of people around him who would see that Jesus really was the Messiah, the Son of God. And you see, friend, Bartimaeus wasn't the only one who put their their faith in Jesus that day. Many others did as well. Past months we've been talking about it. God blesses us. Why? So we'll be a blessing. You see, it, it's, it's so small of us to think, oh, to be only concerned about ourselves and what we want. No, God wants to work in us, but so we work in others. Abraham, he, he blessed Abraham. Why? Because then ble- Abraham was going to be a blessing to the whole world. And see, that's our mission while we're here. God blesses us, so we'll be a blessing. Do you want a miracle just for yourself? Oh, let's not. Let's want it for the sake of others, too, that they will come to faith, that they will glorify God. God does miracles not just for the person who experiences it, but all the people in that person's life, his family, his church, his community. This miracle was not just for Bartimaeus' good. It was accomplished God's plan. It was for Jesus' glory. It was for the world's good. Miracles are not just for us. They're for fellow Christians to participate in that. See, that's when God says, hey, when you have a need, share it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Bear each other's burdens. Why? Because then you pray together. And then when the answer comes, everybody's a part of it. It builds the faith of all. When God does a miracle, it should impact our community. Not just make our life easier. It should bring glory to God, to the, all the people around us. Easter's in two weeks. You know what we'll be tempted to do? Say, oh, Easter's coming. Hmm, what should we do? Oh, let's have a nice dinner. Uh, Let's do this. Oh, let's, you know, we'll make plans for ourselves. Will the miracle of Easter be something that God just does a work in us so that it impacts others as well? Easter is one of our great opportunities to share that Jesus Christ, hey, every other religious found in the world is still in the grave, Jesus isn't. His tomb is empty. That's the greatest thing that ever happened. And we've got to share that good news. So what will we do on Easter? Celebrate that miracle for us? Or will we ask God to, through us, let others experience that miracle also? Oh, this week, friend, please. we try to have a, an application to every sermon because the, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Here's, here's what I ask you to do this week. This week, would you pray every day? Pray every day, God, who do you want me to impact this Easter? i got two weeks, God. I've got two weeks. God, I want you to use me. I have that family member who doesn't know the Lord. I don't know about their eternal destiny. I've got that neighbor. I've got that coworker. I don't know where they're spending eternity. God, would you use me? Would you give me some opportunity? Would you loosen my tongue so that I'm not just talking about the weather and sports and whatever. I want to talk about that I have a risen Savior. Would you pray? God. Let me impact someone. Uh, Let me bring them to Easter service, 10 (laughs) o'clock, Easter morning, for celebration of the greatest event in all of human history. Next week we'll have invitation cards for you, but this week pray every day, God, that's a miracle. That was a miracle that was done for me, and I want to share that with others some of you know the that great song not sung much anymore george beverly she took it all sang it all the time it took a miracle to put the stars in place it took a miracle to hang the world in space but when he saved my soul cleansed and made me whole it took a miracle a miracle of love a miracle of grace Friend, you and I have experienced the greatest miracle of all, our sins forgiven because of Jesus Christ dying in our place on that cross. That's the miracle. No other miracle can compare. Some Christians would say, well, I've never never had a miracle. I don't know if they even know the Lord is their Savior if they say that because it's a miracle of love and grace. And friend, in heaven there won't be anyone who says well god you never did a miracle for me no in heaven we'll all say thank you god for that miracle of my salvation and then we'll be able to look back with perfect vision and see everything that god did in our life thank you god for all the miracles you did i just wish i'd trusted you more I wish I had trusted you more. Need a miracle? God can. God does. But we have a part to play too. Go to the right person. The Lord. Do what he says. Ask for the right thing. Not something that'll just make you more self absorbed. Take that next step. God's speaking to all of us today, telling us to take a next step. Take it. Wait for the perfect time. It's hard to wait. We say it's not working. Well, that's your time. God's time is perfect. Ask God for a miracle, not just for you, but that will bring someone else to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Because God wants you to experience his power, experience his miracles in your life. Shall we pray? Oh, Lord. I just praise you. Here's Jesus on a road that he knew was going to take him to his torture and his death. And what's he doing? Helping others, helping a blind man to see. Oh, the love of the Lord Jesus for us. I just praise you, God. Thank you so much. And Lord, Would you, in my life, would you make me more like Bartimaeus, taking those next steps of faith, believing you to do the impossible. God, would you help all of us as your church, as the body of Christ, as Christians, who know nothing is impossible with God. Dear Lord, help us to live it. Help us to live it. We all need miracles, God. We all need your power to do things we can't. And God, you've made them available to us. You proved it when you loved us enough to send your son to die on the cross for us. So, Lord, help us to trust you. And use us this season when we celebrate the risen Lord Jesus Christ to see your miracles at work in our lives and the lives of those we love. In Jesus' name, amen.